0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Compass Church. In this sermon from September 5th, 2021, Pastor Craig teaches from Galatians 1, where the Apostle Paul confronts the lie that the opinions and judgments of others disrupt our union with Christ. For more information, please visit compasscfc.com. Well, good morning, Compass. My name is Craig. Thank you. Hi. Uh let me ask you this. Have any of you ever felt uh, peer pressure at church? Anybody in here ever felt peer pressure at church? When I see some hands. When I asked that in the early service, someone just said, Bleh. So I <laughs> imagine some of us have felt that. Peer pressure at church. What do I mean by that? Peer pressure. So the weight, the weight of other people's attitudes, maybe opinions, Convictions or even judgments, the weight of that creates a pressure, peer pressure. Have any of you ever felt that at church? What, what would that look like? like? Peer pressure at church has to be a little different than like peer pressure in high school, right? Like nobody's trying to get you to vape here. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what happens. Uh, but what does peer pressure at church look like? What is that, that weight of others' expectations, of their attitudes? Sometimes explicit, right? Like sometimes it's the look. Sometimes it's maybe harsh words. But sometimes it's not so explicit. It might be just in perceived attitudes, whether maybe some of it's within us or it's actually out there, peer pressure, Peer pressure just is, too, by the way. I'm not trying to necessarily say peer pressure at this point is either good or bad. It just is a thing. Like, when we diverge from people's opinions, that feeling we feel of, oh, this is different, that can be peer pressure, right? And there's certainly, we can all think of some situations where peer pressure is, is healthy and helpful. Think about, like, sobriety, right? Like, AA. Like, it's healthy and helpful knowing you're a part of a community trying to Get sober, get help, and there's a healthy kind of peer pressure there. But peer pressure, though, we have to be very, very, very careful with peer pressure because it very, very, very quickly gives birth to this ugly stepchild called people-pleasing. Peer pressure very quickly gets tangled up and meshed with people-pleasing. So you come to church, right? And you notice you might be different from some of the people around you at church. Some of these folks, let's say, let's just say some things. Like, uh, what are some things we can feel peer pressure around Homeschooling. Let's say you homeschool your, your kids and other people don't. You can be like, man, they think I'm a weirdo. They think I'm sheltered. They think I'm holier than thou. Ugh. Well, let's say you, you send your kids to public school, and you're like, man, they think, these homeschool families, they think we're wild. They think we're dumb. And it's just peer pressure, right? That pressure. Because What are other pressures we can have? Maybe some pressures might look like, Ugh, do I know enough theology? Right? Like, everybody here is so smart. Like, am I like that? Do I like that? Is something wrong with me? All right, what about this one? What about maybe uh, buying things on credit versus paying for cash, right? You're like, what? If, you, if that is not, like, creating stress for you, you just haven't been around church long enough, all right? <laughs> I'm just sad I have these things in my Rolodex, okay? Right? There can be this pressure, like, man, do I, do I do finances right? Like, are these people godlier than me, and I'm just missing something here? What about drinking versus teetotaling, right? Let's just resurrect some old controversies, huh? Right? It's like, man, like these people they're drinking, I'm not, I'm a teetotaler, is something wrong with me, or like, man, these people aren't drinking. Am I like a wild child? Like, what's happening? Peer pressure. And if left unchecked, these things, these these pressures, this weight, will very quickly lead us down a path of people pleasing. And that's exactly what the issue was at the church in Galatia. It's exactly what Paul was writing to confront was that there were these sophisticated Christians. Isn't that where all the pressure comes from, right? Sophisticated Christians from Jerusalem, from HQ. And they came to Galatia, who these people were just excited, they were on fire, this was all very new, and they had gone off the rails a little bit, right? And this peer pressure kinda just turns up the temperature and causes the Galatians to veer off course. And so Paul comes out of the gate swinging, okay? He starts his letter unlike any other letter he started. In almost, well, in every letter Paul writes, when he writes to a church, he offers some kind of gratitude, like, oh, I thank my God for you, I'm always praying for you. Even like in Corinth, right? Those people were wild, right? Like just, it was a crazy, it was a crazy town in Corinth, and Paul is grateful for them not in Galatia. He just is like, hi, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. Boom. Right? And it's like, whoa, why? Whoa, what, what, why is the temperature up so high? Why is Paul coming out of the gate swinging? It's because he's trying to, with all his energy, confront a lie that you and I just live with, and we're so used to. It's become just a part of the air we breathe. We don't even know we're doing it. He's trying to confront this lie right here, that the opinions And judgments of people at church have the power to upset our union with Christ. Let me say that again. The opinions and judgments of people at church have the power to upset our union with Christ. We can be overwhelmed by sophisticated people who use big words. They quote Hebrew and Greek right? We can be overwhelmed and we, what, what happens is our, what we know to be true about our salvation gets threatened. we like, man, is there something wrong with me? And then we, we turn and we, we feel that pressure and we're at a fork in the road. What are we going to do That's what Paul is trying to get the Galatians back to, a fork in the road. Are we going to live a life of faith, or are we going to live a life of people-pleasing? Letting that anxiety drive us and trying to present ourselves in a way that we think will gain the approval of others around us. Paul comes out of the gate swinging. He says lots of harsh things. Here's one thing he says that's like, whoa, Paul, whoo. If I, so he's saying, if I, Paul, were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. All right? Paul comes out of the gate swinging, and he's saying really harsh things because a lot is at stake. When we build our confidence on what others think of us, we are opening ourselves up to another gospel. Let me say that again. When we build our confidence on what others think of us, we are opening ourselves up to another gospel, and it's dangerous. It will create a toxic culture And it will be detrimental to our faith. And what Paul says to the Galatians church is he says, you have abandoned the one who called you. To do this, to live a life of people pleasing is not just a theological idea. It's not just, oh, I'm I'm a little off base. It's seen by Paul as abandoning the one who called him. What's it look like, not only when we just feel peer pressure at church, but when a whole church takes on an identity of being a people pleaser, right? Would churches that take on, oh man, we just gotta be people pleasing, are by nature going to cater to the least common denominator? We don't wanna offend anybody, we don't wanna upset anybody because if we're upsetting people, that says, that, that's somehow a picture of God's pleasure toward us. If someone is upset with me, maybe I don't really have this union with Christ. It's a really dangerous place to put your your confidence, to build your identity. And Paul comes out of the gate swinging because it's also at stake for him. See, like the thing about leadership is like when you get a criticism, unhealthy leaders just, oh man, you're right. If I'm a people pleaser too, it's like, yep, yep, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm wrong too. So the, these, these Judaizers, that's what they were called, they came in and they said, Paul, yeah, Paul's a nice guy. He's fine. We have lots of friends together back in Jerusalem. But here's the thing. Paul, like, he, he's just like us, right? Our bosses, the folks who sent us, they actually, uh, they are kind of worried about Paul. He's talking about freedom in Christ. What you really need to do is you need to keep Torah. You need to keep these dietary laws. That's how you really cultivate union with Christ. Because, you know, Paul, he's a great guy, but he's, you know... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Paul, instead of going, yeah, I know, I am. Ugh. He comes like against Paul, apostle, period. Paul, what does apostle mean? It means designated spokesperson for Jesus. He comes out of the gate like, I'm not messing around. I, you got to see me being confident in my union with Christ. I'm going to model that so that you can build up in your confidence in union with Christ. Union with Christ is the whole foundation for the book of Galatians. And in different ways, different threats to it pop up. And Paul is heading those, it's like whack-a-mole, and we got to remember what we're talking about here. We're talking about our union with Jesus, okay? Or as one writer says, you're Spider-Man, not Batman. I know, I hate, I hate. I'm like you, okay? It's it's getting old, Marvel, okay? Like, let's watch something else, right? Superhero movies for the past 25-plus years, we get it. Oh, what happens now? Oh, they're traveling through time. Wow, what, you know? Loki goes to the grocery store. Whoa, well, right, we're bored, all right? But, <laughs> but uh, you, we just need to really understand how union with Christ is Spider-Man, not Batman. Let's take Batman for a second, okay? Who's Batman? He's just a rich guy who beats up poor people, fundamentally. That's not really being a superhero. No, no, but he's also, he's also, he's not a superhero. He has a utility belt He has something outside of him that he has added to him, okay? If Batman takes a week off, he puts his utility belt down, he's not Batman. He's Bruce Wayne. He's just a normal person like you and me, except that he just goes and beats people up, all right? He has to have these things in order to be Batman. Spider-Man, though, was bitten by a radioactive spider. Okay? He just is Spider-Man. He doesn't take a day off. His DNA is fundamentally changed. He can... Right? And Miles Morales, he can go invisible. It's awesome. Right? And that's true because he's fundamentally different. Okay? Bruce Wayne is not fundamentally different. The Judaizers were telling these Galatians Christians, You're Batman. Okay? (laughs) But that's not true. Our identity is fundamentally different. We have been changed. It's not that, oh, we're only different if people see it. We need the affirmation of others. No, we are fundamentally different because of Jesus. And when we root our confidence in that, in the approval of others, that is a surefire way to spend your weekend sailing trapped up in the rocks. It, it will shipwreck your life faster than anything else you can do. And Paul is saying, this is dangerous. So he comes out of the gate swinging, and he sounds pretty harsh. He says about people who encourage this, that preach this type of gospel, he says, let them be, many translations will say different things, devoted to destruction under God's curse, damned, and we're like, whoa, really? Like, they were, they were just saying we should eat these foods. Like, why, why, why are you coming out swinging, Paul? It's because it matters so very much that we don't let our union with Christ be dictated By the approval of others. So, if you have a Bible, we're in the book of Galatians. We're in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, it's about halfway through your New Testament. There's some books with numbers in front of them, and then we get to Galatians. So, Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. And if you could, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Galatians 1 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished. I mean, I'm just... I, I am blown away that you're so quickly deserting the one who has called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are trying to throw you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have said already, so now I say again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Father, I pray that you would help us to see how our union with Jesus, how our identity, how who we are is not, is not built on a foundation on the approval of those around us. God, we're so fragile. God, I'm fragile. God, I pray that we would find our identity in something more weighty than. The opinions of others. God, I pray we would find our approval in the death and resurrection of your Son, in the fact that you are our Father who loves us. God, I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You can have a seat. It's really easy when we read Paul's letters to just kind of blow through the opening few verses, the greeting but the greeting is kind of just like it's it's a grenade that's going to go off later in the book okay it's the closest thing i can compare it to any professors out there it's kind of like a doctoral dissertation that has the abstract right like paul's saying here's what the whole letter is about but he's very like vague in how he talks about that so he's talking he sets this the the, the trajectory for the rest of the letter and he drops hints about what the letter is about but he doesn't tell us explicitly until later so last week we said hey the whole book of Galatians is trying to build our confidence in our union with Christ. Terrible things happen to us. Terrible things happen to us when we lose our awareness of our union with Jesus. That was chapter 2, verse 20. That's the heart of the book. Paul's saying, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And he says this, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how he identifies God. What's God's fundamental, like who, who what, what, we call, what does Paul call God? The one who loved him and gave himself for him. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. This is how he talks about Jesus. Who loved, who gave himself for our sins. Same thing as 2.20. So he has union with Christ already on the mind. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us. That is a fundamental... That would have been so countercultural for Paul's original audience. Remember, they were Greeks and Romans. They had a concept of the gods, and the gods did not forgive, okay? So if you were, like, a wild Greek citizen, a Roman citizen, and you're leaving, like, an orgy, and somebody died, and you're, like, feeling kind of guilty, and you're walking home with your friend, right? And you're walking back, and lightning, like, kills your friend, right? And you are just stopped standing there, like, okay... Zeus, Zeus just let me live. All right, we're good to go. You know what you would not say in that situation if if you thought the gods, you did something bad and the gods didn't kill you? Here's what you wouldn't say. The gods forgave me. Forgiveness is a wildly different idea. When Paul says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us, he's talking about forgiveness. That's not something anyone had a concept of in the Greco-Roman world. That, that implies relationship. There were no relationship with the gods. You could just do things so they wouldn't be mad at you. But Paul's saying this, man, hey, we have relationship now with God. And it's not just he's a father who loves us. He, he's inside us. I, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live. Christ lives in me. He has, he has enmeshed our lives together. <laughs> we're united. We are one, there's a deep, deep relationship. Like Spider-Man, I'm fundamentally different. And listen as to why. Look, at, look again at verse 4. Why did he do this? Here's what we would expect in a verse 4. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us. Right? If we're thinking the Greco-Roman world, to rescue us from the wrath of God. Now, we don't have the wrath of God, the gods, to worry about. We have the wrath of God to worry about, which is true. That's just not in this passage, right? Or to rescue us from the penalty of our sins. Again, that's true. That's just not what this passage is talking about. What does it say? To rescue us from this present evil age. Do we think about Jesus' death on the cross rescuing us from this present evil age. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? What's the present evil age that Jesus rescues us from? Well, again, we got to get the whole context of the book figured out so we can start to see exactly what he's talking about. Here's what I think he's talking about. I think he's talking about when people, when spiritually sophisticated people invite you to be people pleasers, Jesus has rescued you from that. He's call, I think he's calling that this present evil evil age. Here's the context of the whole book. Uh, In Galatians 4, Paul describes those people who were deceiving, as he says in verse 6, who who were dragging them astray. In verse 4, 17, here's what he says about them. These people are so zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. Here's what's happening. These people who they were living by this ethic of people-pleasing. They're like, we're going to come here and we want the Galatians to have adoration and love for us. That, by the way, is the heart of toxic leadership. It is very difficult to lead people when you constantly want their approval. See, the thing with people-pleasing is it'll either morph into being frozen or it will morph into this sick kind of pride. We either get stuck by it or we love the adoration of people. We love the adoration of our kids. Our kids need us. Yeah, they're 36 and should be paying their bills themselves. And when I pay the bills, they need me. People-pleasing. That's the root that's connected to and you're like, well, I I, I, I need help seeing that. Okay, the end of the book. Here's how it wraps up. He's talking about the false teachers again. He says this, those who want to impress people, emphasis mine, but impress people, that's people pleasing. They want to please people. They want to impress people. They want people to see them and, and have their expectations exceeded by how great they are. Those people who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even they. So they themselves, not even those who are circumcised, keep the law. But they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision. Here's what they're doing. Some folks came from Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, we we, we belong to country clubs. We go get lunch with people. And they're going to be super impressed with how many people we got to keep the law. And so if we can get these people to keep the law, they're going to really like us, and then our friends back home are going to like us. That is the heart of people-pleasing. And Paul is inviting us not into that. He's actually saying, that's a different gospel. You're like, Why? Why? That's how I live my life. How is that a different? You just got to please the right people. How is that a different gospel? Look with me at verse 5. So he's described, Jesus rescued us from this present evil age according to the will of the Father. To whom be glory. To God be glory. The word glory, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod. Can you say kavod? Kavod. That was awesome. Kavod means weight. It means heavy. Here's what he's saying. He's trying to call us away from the weight of other people's approval, the weight of their peer pressure into the weight of God's opinion, into the weight of God's perspective. He's not trying to say, hey, peer pressure, just ignore it, just minimize it, pretend it doesn't exist, pretend you're fine. He's saying this, that's real, all right? That's why he's so lit. He's just so upset because they're pressuring him. F.F. Bruce in his... Great commentary on Galatians. Talks about the next passage where Paul's like, look, yeah, I went up to Jerusalem. I did all the things they said I did because they attacked Paul. There's an old saying in politics, the second you start explaining yourself, you're losing. Have you heard that? It's super jacked up if you think about it for a second. If you you start explaining yourself, you're losing, right? Why? Because you want to be that hoorah-rah, I'm the champion. So Paul now has to explain himself. He's put on the defense, He's backed up against the ropes. They're like, Paul's not a real apostle. How does he start the book, though? Paul, apostle, just right gets to it. Wow, I didn't know Mike's work that well. Sorry, scared myself. <laughs> he just gets to it, right? Right out of the gate. He's like, I have authority. They say you don't, though. I do. Why? I know that Jesus revealed himself to me and gave me that authority. He's trying to model for us. He's trying to be a model of someone who's deeply confident in their union with Jesus. Why? Because if he's not, we can't be. Look, this is what you can almost imagine those Judaizers are saying. Paul, okay. He was like, he was, you know, pretty big deal in the Pharisees. Like, yes, his mentor was like this, you know, the mentor of the biggest deal ever. But, you know, uh, he messed up, right? He was trying to persecute the church. He learned his lesson. So he came to Jerusalem and, and, and they, they forgave him. And they said, yep, you can go. You can go do your thing to the churches in Galatia, to those Gentiles. Yeah, you can do it, but we're letting you. And Paul's like, hey, they didn't let me. I came up there and said, I had an experience I met Jesus and they went, "Hey, that sounds like the Jesus we know. We recognize your authority." Yeah, cool. Great. He says, "I have authority. What gave me authority? My union with Christ. Nobody gave it to me." This is why it's dangerous when we start to put so much weight on the on the approval of others. We are saying, "God's glory, his word, yeah, it's it's good." You know what's even better? It's even better when people like you. It's even better when you're at a community group and you share your story and you could have been honest. You could have shared like, yeah, here's kind of the mess of my life and it's not pretty and it's still not worked out, but I'm meeting God in it. You could have been honest, but you're like, I think these people wanna hear victory stories. I think they wanna hear how hard my life was and how I just had such a good grip on what I should do. I think that's what they wanna hear, so I'll say that. Oh, they liked it, oh man. And that's church. For a lot of us, we, we're just trying to live into the approval of others or we're hiding. And to come out, it's, we don't know anything in between. And Paul's inviting us to a deeper, weightier perspective. God's perspective. What has God said about us? He says that Christ, verse 4, gave himself for us to rescue us from that. Jesus' death for us does a lot of things. But if we look to our own solutions to the problems of people-pleasing, we are saying Jesus died for nothing. If we're saying, yeah, the opinions of people, they matter, man, how do I fix this? I just got to try harder to get their opinions. I just got to try harder to get people to like me. We're saying, like, we don't need Jesus. Jesus. Christ's death is not just about. Please don't don't misunderstand me. It is about we'll be united with God when we die. But it also provides real solutions to our life in the here and now. He rescues us from the paralysis of needing the approval of others because he gives us the approval of someone greater. And when we ignore that and when we live like that's not true, Paul says in verse 6, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The word gospel means good news. The good news the Galatians were tempted to believe was We can be Batman. If we just do the right things, have the right tools, God's going to be pleased with us. And how do we know God's pleased with us? God's people like us. This is great. Only it's not great. Because if you've been around God's people a long time, they can be a fickle bunch. And so it's very hard to keep. It's like, oh, I thought I did what they wanted. They want more. Okay, we'll just do that more and more. Or there's an invitation to stop trying harder and to trust that Christ loved me, gave himself for me, and rescued me from needing the approval of others. And Paul deeply believed that. The only reason Paul was able to go to these, Paul was met with so much opposition. Everywhere he went, read the book of Acts, he's met with so much opposition, but he's able to weather it because he believed that he was different. He was new creation. That he, he had been fundamentally changed by Jesus. That doesn't make it easy. It's not like, oh man, people have opinions. Uh, union with Christ, I'm good to go. It's work. We have to work to remind ourselves. But if we don't, if we don't focus on what we have through our union with Jesus, we are so easily overwhelmed by Christian culture, by concept, distractions, how people are polarized, prosperity gospel, end of day doomsdayers, I mean, false traditions. All these things can just pull us and say, oh, we haven't done enough. We need to try harder. God's not pleased. I got to head in this direction. If God, Paul makes this point again and again, if God was pleased... By good people, Christ died for nothing. The invitation is not to try harder, but it's to trust. And look, I'm preaching myself. A long time ago, I was uh, getting lunch with a denominational leader, not this denomination. What's the denomination? Don't worry about. It. Uh, it's church leaders, all right? Uh, from a uh, far away. And so I'm getting lunch with this guy, and as we're ending the lunch, I'm getting in my car, and this is what he said to me. He said, hey, do you always feel like in every conversation you have to say something super profound? Which in the moment, I'm like, whoa, I got to respond humbly to that. Like this guy's saying everything I say is profound. And he was like super friendly. We're like, you know, boom, boom, boom. I get in my car, and I'm driving away, and I'm like, wait a second. (laughs) Was he giving me a weird compliment, or was he saying to me, I feel like I need to sound smarter than I am. What was he saying? Oh, my gosh. And then this pressure, weight, fear took over. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Did, do, what do people think of me? Does everybody think that? Does everybody think I, I try to sound smarter than I am? Oh, my gosh. What do I do? I don't know. What to do. Or did he really? how do I know? What, what was he doing? How do I know? And that night, I'm like giving my kid a bath, and I'm like totally stuck in my head. That fear and that weight is real, and it takes over. And I'm starting to think, like, what does everybody think of me? Oh, my gosh. I don't know, but you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna stop talking. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna not talk for like a month. I'm just gonna not talk, and that way nobody can say that, and then I don't even know what he meant. Here's the thing that guy probably just said that and just went on with his life. I don't even know what he meant. He, maybe he didn't even know what he meant. He had moved on, right? But I got stuck. I'm like, oh my gosh. Why? He was someone who I thought was spiritually sophisticated, who knew things I didn't know, and now I don't have his approval. And now my sense of confidence and well-being is thrown into just a tornado. I don't know who I am. I'm not well, and this is a $7 word. You're welcome. Differentiated. I don't know where I end and his opinion begins. Right? I don't know, hey, I have met Jesus. I'm confident. Do sometimes I nail it? Do sometimes I miss it? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called being a human being. But I'm confident. I'm loved and accepted by God, and I'm fundamentally different. So I can receive the correction. Do I try to be profound? I don't know. Or I can receive the compliment. Hey, that was super profound. Do you always try to do that? I don't know what it was. It doesn't have to rock me. Right? But if we live if we live on this other side where it's like, I need your approval We're always going to be rocked. That's why it's so important to remind ourselves. We're talking about connection groups starting up soon. Connection groups are, for many of you, maybe some of you have been in a connection group for years and you have a community that's wonderful and great. We want to get people on ramps so they can find places where they can share their story. Where they can be like, hey, here's who I am and here's what God has done in my life. Not who I think you want me to be and what I think you want to hear about what God has been doing in my life. Nothing will stunt a community's growth faster than catering to the lowest common denominator. And as Edwin Friedman says, we live in the age of anxiety where we're all so paralyzed by stepping out and by being different that we just stay with the herd. We come into a group and we're like, I think this is who this group is. And now here's what I, I do to not stand out. Union with Christ, though, gives us a confidence, a confidence that Paul is modeling here, that we can come into a group and say, here's who I am. Here's what God has done in my life. I have no idea if you like that or if you don't. Naturally, I would hope you like it. But if you don't, I'm going to be fine. My confidence about my union with Jesus does not rise and fall based on your opinion of me. People like that, people like that have impact. People like that stand out to their friends and, wow, maybe Jesus really does rescue us from this present age. Here's the thing, we're working toward that. On our best days, we can do that. We can get in the car and be like, "Thank you, Jesus. I shared my story to a lot of blank stares, uh, and that's fine." I'm, but on our, on our, if we're being honest, we're like, "That was awful. I never want to do that again." These people are the worst. It's all them. Oh my gosh! Let's just get out of here, right? We're going to take. Baby steps. This is the goal we're headed toward, and we all leak. We all stumble. That's why we remind ourselves. That's why we gather to say this is who we are. Because it's very easy and it's very normal to slide into Batman mode. But it's like, no, 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 no. We already are different. We're not trying to make ourselves different. We're just trying to grow in our awareness of what God has done for us in Christ. Some of us have been paralyzed for years. We've just been stuck. We, we don't know what people want. We're trying to live for their approval. We know we don't have it. And we're stuck. That's why in a moment we're going to take communion. Communion is a means of us reminding ourselves what Jesus has done for us. That he loved me and gave himself for me. And that fundamentally makes me different. Not my ability, not my, not my theological prowess, not how many times I can sneak the word atonement into a sentence. What makes me different is Jesus. He did this. And if I'm saying, "yay," yeah, yeah, but I need to, I'm saying other things have more weight than his glory. I'm saying his death is fine, but it needs... See, it's not about trying more. It's about trusting wholly. And so in a moment, we're going to take communion. But my hope and my prayer for all of us is that leading up to communion, we would use this as a time to just sit and reflect, God, what are the ways that I have been catering to and living in a people-pleasing gospel? What are the ways that I believe that if I just had the approval of of a spouse, what are the ways, if I just had the approval of a friend, if I just had the approval of my kids, then everything would be okay. But communion says, hey, (laughs) you are loved and secure because of the death of Jesus. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder that, hey, when we have our great days and when we have our bad days, we are equally secure, we are equally united. Even even on the days we forget, Alistair Begg, uh, he's a Scottish preacher in Ohio maybe, uh, he has this great story he tells about the thief on the cross. And he says the thief. He, said, he in only a way, Alistair Begg, if you know him, can say it. That uh, he says our friends in Fort Lauderdale gave the thief on the cross a question. So he gets to the pearly gates and he sees Peter, and Peter says, "Why should I let you in here?" And do you, do you know what the thief on the cross, according to Alistair, says? I don't know. I have no idea. Just he said I could be here. <laughs> You're not rescued by your theological prowess, by your Bible knowledge. You're rescued because he rescued you. That's what we're remembering today, that we have been rescued, and now we're Spider-Man, not Batman. Jesus, I pray as we take communion shortly that we be reminded that we're united to you that we would be reminded that we have love and acceptance from God because you died. Father, I pray that for those of us who've forgotten, that we would be reminded as we partake in communion today. let all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.